Welcome to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast with David Pulsini from Six Point Financial Partners. In this podcast, find your path towards a brighter financial future with David as your guide as he helps individuals, educators, and healthcare professionals explore ways they can build wealth while minimizing risk using a multifaceted, comprehensive approach to personal finance. Are you ready to take the first step towards a brighter financial tomorrow? Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have a real treat for you, and it is because you asked for it. So people have been asking, Angela, what is going on in the real estate market? Why are houses selling so quickly all over the country? And for over asking price, how did it get to this point? How can you take advantage of it if you can, or even get a house yourself in this type of market? So to help us answer these questions, we have Angelo Press Giacomo with us today. Angelo is the owner of Blue Arrow Real Estate and has helped a tremendous number of clients buy and sell their homes in this market. So Angelo, how are you today? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks. How are you doing? All right. So for the listeners, Angelo and I actually recorded a conversation about two months ago. And somehow, my fault, I only captured my end of the audio. So it's funny to listen back to it. You'd hear me ask a question and it sounded like pen clicking for three minutes until I made another comment. And this time we're all set. I know Angelo's ready. And this is the first time we could coordinate our schedules. So Angelo, thanks for doing this again, even though nobody's heard it except for me. So yeah, um, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So it, we'll answer this one again, Angelo. What got you into real estate in the first place? And how long have you been in the real estate business? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, I've been in the business for about 15 years. I started buying and uh, buying rentals and flipping homes. And I had a realtor and he just wasn't doing exactly what I was looking for and wasn't fast enough. So I got my license and kind of took it from there. You went through the 2008 market, which I'll bring up a little bit later because yep. yeah, I was, I was doing financial planning then. And obviously any real estate mortgage, financial planning business was just a, a brutal time for a lot of people. So, and that's by the way, what people are fearful of in this type of real estate market, which I know we'll come back to. So do you know, I mean, people have to be aware of this by now. They've heard of people selling their houses. They've heard some crazy stories out there. Houses going for way over asking price, cash, no inspections, all of that stuff. But before we get into that, how did how do you think this came to happen in the real estate market? And then I'll give you like my financial side of it on the answers that I think on how this came to happen. Yeah. I mean, a lot of factors are at 2.75. Your buying powers, it's incredible right now. A lot of people are starting to work from home. Now they need a home office. They need a bigger home. The cost of construction has gone through the roof. There's just a lot of factors that kind of made the market where it is today. Yeah. that's The work from home thing is huge, which I definitely want to get into. But from what I see is many of the homes, it's a supply and demand issue, right? Obviously, Mm -hmm. like simple economics. Many of the homes that would have gone for sale in the last year just haven't, right? So there was already a steady and slow decline of inventory over the last 12 years since the housing crisis, which again, we'll talk about. But then you add in a pandemic, right? So part of the demand comes from what you just mentioned, Angelo, is the home office thing and in construction and low rates. And part of that is the demand for more space in the home, right? So let me give you an example of the rates, just because I'm a financial advisor and I can't help myself, Angelo. So if you were if if you get a rate just a year ago or a year and a half ago, we'll call it a 3.75% for 30 years, and you bought a $300,000 house, you would end up paying somewhere around $500,000 for that $300,000 home because of interest rates. Today, 
at around, we'll call it 2.5% as of this morning, or maybe even lower, that same $300,000 house may end up costing somewhere around 435,000. So on that one $300,000 home, someone is say, quote saving, right? Um, $65,000 of interest payments. So I'll give some blanket financial advice here. And I know you've seen this, Angelo, but if you have not taken the initiative to at least consider a refinance or looking into the equity to potentially pay off some of your other debts, it may be the right time to do that. And when I say that, like any of the listeners, you can shoot me an email anytime and I can point you in the right direction. We don't do that, but we have people that can help with that. So the demand side is definitely there. The houses are not going up for sale like they would have in the last year. And on the supply side, most homes right now are owned by baby boomers. And Angela, I know you know this from your clients. That's people born between, as a reminder, 1946 and 1964. So most of them did not want people in their house during a pandemic, right? Angela, I don't know how many showings you were doing, like just you on FaceTime, or did you see that a lot, actually? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of folks, especially at the beginning, if they were selling their home, didn't want anybody around, which really made them either wait or just not get the volume that they may have gotten before. So on the other side of it, they just didn't want to go through the trouble of moving during a pandemic. So if they sell the house, then where do we go? And after endless media coverage, by the way, I know you appreciate this, of assisted living facilities, anybody that was going to go into that really didn't want to look into that at the time. So on the other side of the age group with the baby boomers, we have the millennials. These are folks born between 1981 and 1996 who also did not want to buy a home at that time, or here's the thing with the supply side, give up their starter home because they didn't know what the future of remote work would look like, like you said. So if they know they can move somewhere else and get a bigger house, they're waiting it out. So they're not putting their houses up for sale like they would have. There's that supply and demand gridlock along with high construction prices that has greatly lowered the inventory. And on the other side, there's still a lot of people that want to buy which we'll get into. But with all that said, Angel, I mean, that was a lot. Sorry for rambling. But when you're working with a client, how are you coaching them to win an offer in this environment? Like, what does it take? The, the biggest thing is I, I, I meet with them beforehand and I go through everything. I go, there, I go through their finances. I really figure out where their comfort level is and where they want to be, like where their max is. And then wherever their max is, I really try to have them look in a lower price point because homes are going 20, 30, 40, 50 hundred grand over ask. So that's what I try to do up front. And then when they put an offer in, I tell them, where is your, where's your drop dead point where if you don't, if you didn't get this house at this number, would you regret it or not? You know, that that's something I would offer them. No inspection. If they're okay with the house, no inspection. If the seller needs to stay a little bit longer, because they're either building a home or they're moving out where can they give them a rent back? Is that a possible option? So the more incentives you can give the seller, that's, that's the higher up your offer is going to become on the list because usually you're going to see multiple offers on a property. Yeah. So interesting. So what were you seeing 10 years ago versus this? Like one mm-hmm. offer waiting? Yeah. 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 M- maybe, you know, if someone's asking 300,000, offer them 270. I mean, you, you just didn't see it like this. It's just, it's crazy yeah, 10, right now. 10% was like the going rate. So, yeah, yeah. The, so, so what I see is like people that are winning when I'm doing the financial planning for them, they're, they're winning because they can pay cash. Number one, Yeah. no financing. They can close quickly. Yep. No contingencies. I can pay cash. I can move in. Yeah. No inspections. Yeah. Right. And then just again closing quickly. But what if they can't do those things? Like what? If, what if this was a normal person eight years ago 
they have a house, they need to sell their house, they need to go get a mortgage and they want to move into a new house. How is it possible for them to win right now? It's it's really tough. I mean, they really got to figure out, you know, is this maybe go rent for a year or so, see if things cool off. That's that's if they have a lot a lot of either contingencies or they can't go cash. Another option is can they maybe go talk to a builder where they can build and then they don't have to rush. And when the time comes, they can sell their home or write an insane offer on a property where if the property is asking 300, you might have to offer them four or 425 because of your contingency. You got to really, really work with somebody. Wow. That's another thing you can do too. Yeah. No, that's good advice. What are some mistakes that you were seeing from buyers? Meaning like overpaying, um, they're scared. Like, Do you see mistakes from people buying a house? Usually you see that when a, when a new buyer is coming into the market, that's where they make their mistakes because they're not used to how this works. So they might, you know, like I said, easy numbers again, 300,000 for a house, they might offer 305 or they're going to want an inspection or they're, they're nervous. I think that's where you see a lot of mistakes is in the beginning process. I think once they're seasoned on how this works and they kind of sharpen up a little bit. Can you, okay. So the no inspection thing, I wanted to ask you this, the if, if someone's offering no inspection, that would make me nervous, right? Like I, I want an inspection. If I'm walking through the house with my realtor, could I have someone come with me as like an, almost an informal inspection? It's, it's, it's a touchy thing. Y- yes and no. They really don't want that going on. We see it though. I mean, you can't yeah. tell someone not they can't be in the home, but it's kind of touchy there. What, what if my dad was a home inspector want to look at the house with me? We'll bring them along. Okay. You know, okay. have them come through. <laughs> okay. it's, 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 a, it's a win-win. Have them come through. <laughs> yeah. All right. So every home inspector is my dad when I'm looking at a house. Yeah, exactly. then, right? <laughs> I was just going to say, just say it's your dad or your uncle. Our right listeners now. know that I look for the loopholes. I think we just found one. So, um, I, well, the point is like, you don't want to buy anything that's major. So another thing that I've seen is like, you offer no inspection, but if there's anything wrong or, or you do an inspection and anything over $25,000 has to be covered. So anything like catastrophic can still be covered. And most of the time, you're not going to find that. So it's funny you went there with the mistakes you see from a buyer and not winning the house because of their contingency. I thought you were going to say something like they actually go in and overpay. Isn't that funny? Because like the scarcity mindset is real. I really want to win this house. I'm going to way overpay for it. When in reality, many people, now I'm a boring financial advisor, could just rent or do something else for the year and see if this cools down at all, which I wanted to talk about. But what do you see on the seller side? Any mistakes that you see sellers making? Yeah. So obviously, since the market is really hot right now, it's a seller's market. It, the, the, one, of the, one of the few mistakes a seller can make is if they just don't price it right. You don't want to price it way over where you think it's going to go. You want to price it a little more conservative. So say you think the house is going to go around half a million. You either want to price it 450 or 499. You don't want to price it 550 or six thinking that the market's going to get you there. If you price it right to get people in the door, the, the market will dictate what you get for the house. So when you say the 450 or 499, is that, this is my understanding, and I don't know that much about it, but is that because it's like the search bans on the real estate websites? Meaning like people put 500 or below or 499 or below or 450? Yeah. 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 Okay. So say someone's looking between, you know, four to 500, you want to put that 499. So you capture that market there. If you okay. put it. So, so yeah, that really just depends where you put it there. Okay. Do you, okay, so you have all these, all this stuff going on, especially locally in Rochester, New York. When people are selling their house, where are they moving to? <laughs> like, it's so hard to find a new one. If you can't win, like, you, it seems like they have to be leaving, right? We, we're seeing a lot of people leaving. That's for sure. That, that's for sure. 
It's just, they um, must be to win these offers the way that we're talking about. Like if you have no contingencies and you need to get out and you're, you have to pay, like you can't stay, you get to sell it and get out almost. Yeah. We are seeing a lot of actually, so we're in a little suburb versus New York is it's a large state. There's some really hot spots, but ours is a little more country feel. So we're getting a lot of people from Connecticut, Rhode Island, you know, you know uh, downstate New York, they're all coming through here. So we're seeing a little bit more of, of appreciation in our area of actually people relocating. Interesting. All right. So people are moving to Rochester. I like it. Yeah. Surprising. Yeah, hey, that's all right. Hey, this is a Dear Rochester Retire Well podcast, Angela. Be, be nice to Rochester. <laughs> also, I did have a listener get a hold of me and they say, I love the name of the podcast, Dear Rochester Retire Well, but can you help me retire well far away from Rochester? <laughs> all right, guys. Take it easy. Um, so, all right. They're, they're moving. A lot of people are moving out. Some people are moving in. It sounds like on the timing of this market, and this is like timing the stock market. And I understand this. Like People want to know I get this question all the time. Is this going to continue? Because I work with a lot of people that are about to retire mm-hmm. and they may want to either buy a second home or they want to sell their house and move or downsize. Those people on the selling side want it to continue, but on the buying side, they want the best of both worlds, as you know. Um, so they want to know if it's going to slow down, speed up, whatever it is, or drop off significantly like it did in, in 2008. So the folks who went through the 2008 market are scared. And again, will this continue? Will it slow down? How is this different than 2008? I'll give you my opinion on this, Angelo, and then maybe you can chime in on on what you saw. But like 2008 versus now, what I've seen is it's twofold. I think in certain areas, this market will continue. And I'm not this. I'm not saying this to pick on Rochester, but people are, (laughs) from what we see, they're kind of fleeing from all states with high taxes and bad weather. And other areas will reap the benefit of that, right? So again, millennials, we talked about this before, are the largest generation now with 72 million people. That is a crazy high number. So, and they are the next wave of home buyers, right? So guess what? Many of them have the capability, like Angelo said, to work remotely, and they'll do that, as we know. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more here, and, I, and I'll give one more fact. But in 2019, the median home buyer was 34 years old. Over the next 10 years, this is a crazy number, 46 million people will turn 34 years old. So that's the largest wave of that age ever recorded. And I took that from uh, Zillow research team thing that I subscribed to, Angela. So I didn't just make that up. Um, but if the average home buyer is 34 years old and 46 million people are turning 34, an unbelievable amount of people that are going to be looking for homes. So mm-hmm. that would... I would conclude that the demand will continue. So the difference in 2008, the difference is there was a huge surplus of supply. Right now there's a, a deficit. And the mortgage companies back then, and I know you know this, Angela's going to laugh about this or maybe not, they, were, they would finance anybody. If you walked in with a pulse and said you had a job, you didn't even have to prove it. Those mortgage guys would write up anything to anybody to get you to any house you wanted yep. to get. And their job was actually to sell you the highest. <laughs> you, know, you, can, you can go get a $4 million house, go, go grab it. What, and so what happened, people, people were overpaying for those houses because they could, not because they should. And the difference here is that for the most part, the people getting the homes now are more strictly underwritten by the banks and mortgage companies and have a better chance at being able to make their payment. Or like we said, right, they're paying cash. So that did not happen in 2008. It was a different time. Obviously, there are many, many 
financially astute and intelligent people out there that didn't do any of this stuff, but there were many, many millions of people that did take advantage of what they could, I guess, if you can call it that. But then millions of houses went into foreclosure, right? So there was already a big surplus. Then a million, millions of houses went into foreclosure, actually adding back to the supply. That's a lot of basic economics. But ba- the difference is in 2008, the prices were crazy inflated. Anybody could get a mortgage. The rates were higher. The supply was tremendous. And I mean, we saw houses going for $400 a square foot for a basic home, where right now it's not even close to that for the most yeah. part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now we can't always look at that, right? Like this is a real estate basic. If you, if you have a thousand square foot house, but it has 62 acres on the lake, it's going to look like the square per, price per square foot is ridiculous. But that was a lot. I'll stop there. And Angel, if you have anything to add from 2008, that's fine. If you don't bring it back. But this made me think of a tax question for you. If I bought a house today, we'll just use a $300,000 number. And this is more of an accountant question, but I know you know this. So if I bought a house today for 300000 and I sold it tomorrow for five hundred thousand. So there's a two hundred thousand dollar gain immediately. Do you know what the rules are if somebody does that? It's ordinary income. If you're in a primary residence for two of the five years, and if you're uh, if you're single, it's up to two fifty, and if you're married, it's up to a half a million. There's no tax on that gain. But I think that short term, I think it translates to ordinary income. That's that's exactly right. The reason I bring that up is. I have clients that are buying and selling houses and a lot of them in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. So they're buying a house for 600 and turning around and selling it for 850,000 three months later because they can, and they never even moved in. <laughs> so that stuff keeps happening and you see it, but I, I just want people to be prepared on the tax side of it. It's a short-term gain for a primary residence. Angelo, that's exactly right. I haven't run into too many real estate agents that know that by the way, which is crazy to me. So I'm glad you knew it. Folks, Angela knows the tax facts. So yeah, yeah, probably from flipping (laughs) houses days. So I just want people to be careful because I've seen it where they're not expecting this tax bill and it counts as ordinary income. So if you're already in a high tax bracket and then you have a $250,000 gain, you better be prepared for 30 to 40% of that to come back to you on a tax bill the following year. That's a huge number. Yeah, It's a big number. So just be ready. And that's something that people can walk through. But let me ask you this last question, Angelo. Um, then we'll let you go here. I have a number of financial advisor listeners, as well as people looking to buy or sell a home or an investment property or land. And they can always get in touch with me to get to you if they want to. But what if somebody wanted to reach you directly? Yeah. So they, they can uh, email me at Angelo, A-N-G-E-L-O, at BlueArrowRealEstate.com, or they can give me a call. And that's uh, 585-509-2645. So Angelo, why didn't you do Angelo Giacomo as your email address? You know, it, it would ta- <laughs> it, it probably would have taken longer to email me than... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you could first spell your name? I think it was like second or third grade. That's right. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So Angel, hey man, again, thanks for doing this again. I don't think I screwed this one up with the recording. We appreciate your time. We'll get this out to our clients and anybody else. But if you have any real estate questions at all, can always get a hold of us. We can put you in touch with the right people. If you're looking to buy or sell a house, Angelo is the guy. Folks, thanks for listening and make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Dear Rochester Retire Well Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Six Point Financial Partners. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Content here is for illustrative and educational purposes only. It is not legal, tax, or individualized financial advice, nor is it a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold any specific security or engage in any specific trading strategy. Results will vary. Past performance is no indication of future results or success. Market conditions change continuously. This commentary reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analysis of Six Point Financial Partners. It does not necessarily represent those of RFG Advisory, private client services, their clients, or their employees. This commentary should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Six Point Financial Partners or RFG Advisory or performance returns of any client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. Securities offered by registered representatives of private client services, member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered by investment advisory representatives of RFG Advisory, a registered investment advisor. Private client services, Six Point Financial Partners, and RFG Advisory are unaffiliated entities. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where RFG Advisory and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advisory services may be rendered by RFG Advisory unless a client agreement is in place.